Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 166th episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. And this month's theme is all about nutrition, food, and mental health. So on today's episode, I'm going to be kicking off by talking about the connection between nutrition and mental health. Is this your first show or are you a regular listener? If you enjoy this episode, why not leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts? As I do my annual planning for the podcast, the aim is to find topics that I haven't covered previously. And whilst we have talked about body positivity, episode 20 with Sarah Bernard, and Eating Disorders Awareness Week with Hope Virgo in episode 26. Nutrition and mental health specifically is not something I have looked at in great detail, so I thought, why not? Plus, as the cold weather draws in and so many of us struggle, it's a great time to consider the impact. I also want to be very clear and emphasize this is absolutely not about telling you what to do and not do in terms of food, but to offer up some ideas for consideration based on research. It's also not talking about weight or weight loss in terms of well-being. This is really some ideas around nutrition and how it can link to mood. So essentially food and mood and how we nourish and look after ourselves. So first off, let's define a few key words and terms that are used a lot, uh, very regularly. But for this podcast, I want to be really clear about what I mean when I'm using them. And the first one is the word nutrition. And this is the nutrients and nourishment we obtain from food and drink. This could also include the kind of quality of the food we eat, so processed versus fresh, the kind of food we eat, and how we choose to eat in terms of, do we eat on the go? Do we eat sitting at a table? And it could also include the ways in which the food has been produced. So organic, factory farmed, et cetera. So diet, then the word diet, these are the types and kinds of food that make up your everyday eating. Um, It comes from the Latin origins of the word taken from the Greek diatia, meaning a way of life. So in Western culture, we know that diet is often applied to the lifestyle changes used to lose weight, but that's not the way I'm talking about it here. I'm thinking about your habitual food, your eating patterns, if you like. What are the foods that make up your daily food regime? And although applied to the changes most often used to resolve a problem associated with being overweight or health issues when we talk about diets in the Western world. And then we have balanced diet. So this refers to eating a wide variety of foods in the right proportions and also consuming the right amount of food and drink to nourish your body. There is, of course, a link with weight here, but there's so much more to this. And body mass index BMI is incredibly out of date. So I'm not going to be dwelling on that, but I thought it'd be helpful to clarify what I mean by these terms. So in an article published in the British Medical Journal, the BMJ, in June 2020, that was entitled Food and Mood, How Do Diet and Nutrition Affect Mental Wellbeing? And I've included that link in the show notes. It found that unsurprisingly, poor nutrition may be a causal factor in the experience of low mood and improving diet may help to protect not only physical health, but also mental health of the population. Now, this is going to become increasingly more difficult and increasingly stark as the wealth gap increases, and many people cannot afford basic food or indeed to heat their homes. And you will have seen, I'm sure, on the news, the use of food banks, and this is people who are working, so the increase in in in-work poverty. So I think this has become even more of a challenge. And I, I should have also mentioned that, of course, if we can't afford food and to nourish ourselves in any way, this, of course, is going to have a hugely detrimental impact on mental well-being. 
Now, this research that I mentioned that was published in the BMJ in June 2020, of course, is not the first of its kind. Uh, but we can think about ourselves when we eat a lot of junk food, crisps, chocolates, processed cakes. I have to say, you know, we might feel great when we're eating it, but usually afterwards, not so much. We might think, oh, I feel quite you know, too much sugar. That was quite sickly. Or I don't really feel like I've nourished myself. Um, I don't maybe have very much energy. And the key messages from this research are healthy eating patterns, such as the Mediterranean diet, are associated with better mental health than quote unquote unhealthy eating patterns, such as the Western diet. The effects of certain foods or dietary patterns on glycemia, immune activation and the gut microbiome play a role in the relationships between food and mood. And thirdly, that more research is needed to understand the mechanisms that link food and mental well-being and determine how and when nutrition can be used to improve mental health. So I'm sure there's nothing in there that's completely surprising. I think one of the issues here, though, is talking about the Western diet. Now, how do we really summarize the Western diet? And especially if we think about the UK and the global majority black diaspora communities that reside within it, um, there are a wealth of diets and a wealth of foods that people eat. So it's a bit difficult, I think, when this, this, with this kind of research and this common term Mediterranean diet. Um, of course, this does tend to overlook countries such as Japan, who have a phenomenal diet, South Korea, who have a phenomenal diet um, in terms of the daily foods they eat. Um, also, Iceland has a very good uh, diet. It's one of the top 10 countries, I believe, in terms of nutrition. So I think we need a much broader mindset here. And I think, you know, again, going back to my point about the continent of Africa and the foods and the diversity that's there, of course, there are going to be lots of diets we're not even really aware of or that are brought to our attention. They're going to going to be phenomenal for physical and mental well-being. So I feel again that there is a gap there in understanding that and the research that's conducted in the UK and the USA overlooks a lot of other countries and of course you know we've got the continent of South, South America too. So we can keep going and we wouldn't know you know the full perspective of it. But again if we think about food and cultural appropriation things like chia seeds, quinoa, those are South American foods, those are native South American foods um and they are incredibly nutritious and good for us. So I think often the West takes these foods and ideas, avocados, very, very good for us, you know, a really big part of Mexican diets that I'm aware of, but the way that things get twisted and then they get become fatty when actually they're really important part of someone's diet. So I think it's important to mention that there as well. And then there was also a really great briefing in 2017 from the Mental Health Foundation. And this is a briefing on food and mental health entitled Food for Thought, Mental Health and Nutrition Briefing. And I've included the link in the show notes. And what it basically said is that, that dietary interventions um, can be so important and actually a significant way to support mental health challenges society is facing. But there is still, and this was in 2017, and I don't believe that things have probably shifted as much as they could have done, that there's a real lack of investment in research and then the translation of this knowledge into straightforward guidance about food production and consumption because of course we can't it's a systemic thing right it starts in the production it starts in the discussions and the food that's available and on offer and that, of course, nutrition shouldn't just be about individual choices. You know, why are you making bad choices? I think people have to be empowered in society and things have to be affordable and readily available for people to make those choices. But it also talked about in this briefing, and I think this is such an important point, that pu public policy is vital to ensuring that healthy food is understood, available and affordable for all. So that's I think that's really great to see. But it's sad to see that nothing's really shifted in the right way. And messages also mentions that messages about nutrition can appear to be changeable and contradictory. 
and shifts in policy and practice have been slow to materialize. And there is in the general population a lack of awareness of the evidence base, as well as skepticism about its quality, uh, about the research. So this therefore has limited progress in embracing the role of nutrition in people's mental health, because we don't really know. We know what's good for us in terms of you know, the, the horrible rhetoric around weight loss and um, this will be, you know, diabetes and obesity. But of course, if you feel low and you feel rubbish, we go to our comfort food and often comfort food can be very um, calorie rich, for example. And then people focus on the obesity side as opposed to, well, what, what's happening? What's drawing people to this food? How can we lift people's mood and mental well-being? And it's, of course, well documented. And we know what we eat impacts our physical health, especially when it comes to diabetes and cancer, for example. They're very widely spoken about. But there's a clinical trial called SMILES, capital S-M-I-L-E-S, at Deakin University in Australia, which was the first randomized controlled trial of dietary improvement for people with moderate to severe clinical depression. And what they showed is actually they, they found a very large benefit to depressive illness when adopting a Mediterranean style diet over a three month period. So I haven't read the full papers there, but again, the links in the show notes, if you want to learn more. And they also showed that the more people improve the diets, the more their depression improved. And this research was led by Professor Felice Jacka, and she is Professor of Nutritional Psychiatry and the Director of Food and Mood Centre at Deakin University. So she very much, this research looks at diet, gut health, mental and brain health. And she says, and this is taken from a BBC article, and I've included that link in the show notes too, but she says, extensive and consistent research tells us that healthier diets protect against depression. And given that depression is the leading cause of global disability, this is critical to understand. So as I've mentioned that this link between personal nutrition and mental health has often been referred to as food mood connection, but really it's about as well, um, and I meant, and it was mentioned there in terms of gut health, is the way in which food is processed in our guts. So this, this is why often that processed food is not great for us because we need to maintain this healthy gut bacteria. And it's thought if we don't, this is what really has an impact on our mood and mental health. And it's linked to the brain, you know, the vagus nerve, that's one of the longest nerve that travels from the base of the brain into the gut. So this gut brain connection can often be a more accurate way to describe the connection between diet and mental health. And the reason that you often hear like gut chattering, you talk about gut, people talk about gut chattering, don't they? is that the gastrointestinal tract is lined with 100 million nerve cells and releases hormones that influence everything when we're hungry to feelings of stress, anxiety, and depression. So our guts heavily impact the way our brains think and how we feel and our general well-being, and there is a connection there. And when the microbiota, so that's the healthy gut bacteria in our digestive tract are not balanced, um, for some people, this may create not just a low mood, but it may go on to create feelings of depression and anxiety. Um, and we may also develop, of course, severe physical conditions such as diabetes and heart disease. So the microbiome within the body is going to affect the body's daily operations when it's disturbed. And there's a lot of research about inflammation. So eating certain foods presents inflammation in the body. And again, that has an impact, a negative impact on physical and mental health. So one major 
disruption to microbiome is continuing to put foods into our bodies that are not gut friendly, i.e. heavily processed, bleached foods. So this is why there is such a connection to food and mood and mental well-being. Now, I'm not an expert on this, so do have a look at the resources if you're interested in this. But I do think it's a shame. Obviously, I don't speak as many languages as as I would like to. It would be great to see research that's been done in countries outside the US and the UK and Australia, because I think, yes, the Mediterranean diet's great. But as I mentioned, there are lots of diets that are brilliant. If we think about Iran and the food of Iran, and Iran has some of the eldest uh, people living in its country, um, despite its tumultuous political environment. And a lot of that is to do with the food and the naturalness of the food. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to know more about that. I think the other thing to consider is how we eat as well. And what I mean by this is sitting at our desks, and we've all been guilty of this, stuffing a sandwich into our face before we run to the next meeting, whether it's face-to-face or online, versus sitting down at a table in a relaxed fashion and being able to enjoy what you eat. And this does link to mindfulness. So I really hope you're enjoying the content of this podcast and you want to keep up to date, then why not join my bi-monthly newsletter? And when you join, you'll receive a free copy of my ebook, The Mentally Healthy Leading Manager. And that link to join is bit.ly forward slash DMSYNR. And that link is also in the show notes. Okay, so now, so what can we do? What can we do about all of this? What what I wanted to do is take four pieces of headline advice around nutrition and what we should be doing and should isn't always a great word um, and delve into it a little bit more deeper in terms of mental well-being. And these are things that won't be a surprise to you, but maybe consider them. And this is also, please, I'm not preaching anyone. I know people have busy lives and I'm going to introduce the caveats into these as well. So the first one around regulating mood and our mental well-being is eating at regular intervals and this is to ensure blood sugar is on an even keel to support mood and energy. But for a lot of people, this is going to be different because um, if you're managing medication, maybe you have to eat at certain times. If you have a health condition, you might have to eat at certain times and you may not be able to eat that regularly. So I understand that. And of course, I think saying now, even in the UK, eat at regular intervals can be a real luxury and not everyone has access to this. Um, I'm also very aware that there's been articles about uh, pupils at school just crying because of hunger, because there isn't food in the house and there isn't money. This this can feel a bit preachy, but I suppose uh, if we think about the connection with food and mood, firstly, we need food to eat. That is, of course, going to impact on our well-being in every single way. Um, those are our basic, basic needs. And we think about all animals on the planet, but eating at regular intervals and eating nutritious things that will nourish our bodies so nuts as opposed to crisps and I'm a really big crisp fan I will eat crisps all the all day if I could so I have to absolutely remind myself of this and what are some things that we can prepare if we have time um, that we can go to the second thing is around regular fluid intake particularly water and I'm really not great at this either because I love tea and I do drink decaffeinated tea mainly but I love tea way too much But not drinking enough water can lead to dehydration in extreme circumstances. Um, You'd really have to not drink anything, though. But also poor focus and irritation. Again, I know not everyone has this luxury. And for people who do shift work and do not have access to toilets, this becomes incredibly challenging. So that's something to think about. But are there ways? Have you noticed, actually, is the question I'll ask when you don't drink or you don't um, look after yourself, how that leaves you feeling? Thirdly, of course, is the really obvious one. And I've mentioned it 
just a minute ago is cutting back on processed and food and junk food, uh, particularly sugar. I mean, it's obvious we know that sugar has many damaging imp impacts and is also addictive. So there have been brain scans that have been done. And my understanding is that sugar can light up very similar areas in the brain to addictive illegal drugs. But in terms of physical health, we know that, this, that there's a problem. But according, again, going back to Professor Jacka, she goes further and she talks about this. And she says, in animal studies, sugar and Western diets, quote unquote, lead to problems in both behavior and cognition, at least partly through a detrimental impact on a part of the brain called the hippocampus. We've also shown that unhealthy diets are closely linked to a smaller hippocampus in humans, while a healthy diet is linked to a larger hippocampus. And the hippocampus is a key part of the brain involved in learning and memory, as well as mental health. So this has important implications for people from childhood through to old age. So really powerful, actually. And I didn't know that till I started delving into it a bit more. But it's really easy, isn't it, to grab a sweet snack on the go because it's readily available than it is to find alternative options. And really, what's been the impact of the sugar tax? You know, there's a lot behind that. So, yes, again, we can know that. But going back to the Mental Health Foundation's 2017 briefing, absolutely right. We know all of this, but how do we translate this into action and make these things easier for people? So we're not all and we're all we all do it going to sugary snacks. And even in savory foods, there is a lot of sugar that's put in it. Okay, and then the fourth one, this won't surprise you either, is alcohol and binge drinking. Of course, we know that alcohol intake impacts on mood directly, can really cause a lift in mood, get rid of inhibitions, and then the next day it can exacerbate feelings of low mood through hangovers. And the way in which alcohol stays in the body and is also thought to impact the gut lining, which goes back to the point about the gut brain and the chattering and disrupting the natural healthy gut bacteria we have in our body. But once again, this is much easier said than done when alcohol is such a key part of UK culture and there is an encouragement to drink. And I know we have initiatives like Dry January and people doing that, which is great. But, you know, there's a lot more to this. And often people will turn to alcohol to support them with their mental ill health and also any trauma or challenges that they're facing, because it's far easier to do that than to talk, open up or to get professional help often. So it's interesting, isn't it, as I list these things, as with so much that comes up in these podcasts, a lot rests on systemic change as opposed to simply making individual choices and thinking I should do this, I shouldn't do this. Um, and we know this is this is often the case. And um, I'd also really like you to consider some things that I've reflected on around linking the food you eat to the mood that you have. So first of all, thinking about food that wakes you up, what kinds of food wakes you up, makes you feel energized, whether that's in the morning, the food that gives you strength, what makes you feel quite strong when you eat it, your happy go-to food when you feel happy, is there a go-to food? Potentially when you feel low or you don't feel great, what's your comfort food? Celebration food, what's your favorite thing to have on birthdays or that you enjoy? And what food do you enjoy cooking or making? Because that can really give you an indication of the kinds of things that you, that would help your mood and your own personal well-being. So there's evidence that connects, there's a lot of evidence, and I've only given a snapshot of it, that connects nutrition and mental well-being. There are many forms that this can take, and we all have different ways of eating and how we eat, whether we like to eat alone with other people, how, how much we like to cook, how much we don't like to cook, etc., And of course, this eating supports our daily lives and activities in different ways. And we need to consider food, nutrition and diet changes for different moments and different times in our life. Of course, if you get pregnant, once you are if you breastfeed, your nutrition and your diet will have to shift. Potentially, you do need a lot more intake because you're supporting another being. 
of course, as we, you know, maybe we get diagnosed with something and we have to change our diets and thinking about all of that, but also using food as a package of daily well-being uh, as a support tool for our mental health, but it could also be for our mental ill health and recovery. And of course, no two people are the same. So I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. As I said, there's a lot of resource on this. So I've included those links in the show notes. And don't forget, I'm a coach. So if you'd like to know more about my coaching, please have a look at diversemind.co.uk forward slash solutions forward slash coaching. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast from. And I will hopefully see you in the next episode. Not literally, but uh, know that you're there in the next episode where we're going to be talking more about nutrition and mental health. So until then, take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.